Thank you. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19. This is Luke's account of the uh, what we know as the triumphal entry that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. I'm not going to dwell so much on that text uh, this morning. My plan is to kind of give you an overview of what we know as Passion Week, of the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, we don't have any midweek services uh, that focus upon uh, uh, Holy Week. We don't have a Monday Thursday service or any Good Friday services. And so I'm going to try to give you a kind of an overview of, of what happened that last week in Jesus' life. I'm going to read this morning from Luke 19, 29 through 48. And this is God's Word. And after he said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage of Bethany near the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples, two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. And there as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, Jesse told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully. With a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... But now they've been hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you in, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you do not recognize the time of your visitation. And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, as it is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do. For all the people were hanging onto every word that he said. And it is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, your word. And we thank you for the life of Jesus. We especially thank you for... Um, the last few days where he did so much in that last day where he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin so impress upon us this morning uh, the wonderful things that Christ did as we look at some of the awful things he experienced so we might find grace and peace and joy in you we ask it in Jesus name amen you know, it really is remarkable to see how much of uh, the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus focus upon the last few days, the last week 
of Jesus' life. One-fourth of the books of uh, Matthew and Luke. Uh, One-third of the Gospel of Mark. And almost one-half of the Gospel of John focus upon the last week of Jesus' life. And that ought to impress upon us the significance of what the Gospel writers tell us about the last days of Jesus. You know, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin is very significant to who he is. The the life of Jesus is very important because it shows us a life of complete service and obedience to God. The teachings of Jesus are very important because they show us how we can live a life that pleases God. And the miracles of Jesus are important because they show us his power and the authority with which he spoke and taught. However, as important as those things are, They all pale in comparison to what we find taking place in the last days of Jesus' life. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus was born. That's why Jesus lived. Jesus came with one primary purpose in mind. And that was to save sinners like you and sinners like me. Jesus came to give himself a sacrifice for the sins of his people. He did that through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. That's why this week is so important. It was by Jesus' death on the cross that he took upon himself the punishment that you deserve for your sin. When he died in your place and took the wrath of God that you deserved to bear. When he was the Lamb of God, took upon himself the sin of his people. It was through the the resurrection that Jesus uh, exercised victory over sin and death, guaranteeing us that our sins are forgiven and that we do have the gift of eternal life. And so the events of this, what we know as Holy Week, from Palm Sunday to Easter, are absolutely crucial to our salvation. Uh, If you have your Bibles out, you might want to, I'm going to take you to several different places this morning. I want you to go back with me to Luke chapter 9. Because the context for what we find in the last week of Jesus' life was set sometime earlier. I want you to go to Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles in verse 51. Now Luke has 24 chapters and this is chapter 9. Where we find this. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he, that is Jesus, was determined to go to Jerusalem. The Greek literally says there he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus knew exactly what would happen to him when he got there. In another place, he told his disciples, when I arrive in Jerusalem. I will suffer much from the chief priests and the scribes. I'll be crucified and I will rise again on the third day. Now, the disciples had no idea what all that meant. And they couldn't put their minds around it, couldn't grasp it, didn't understand it, wouldn't believe it. And yet we come to the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. You find that's exactly what happened. And it's really from Luke 9 on. Uh, Jesus' life is something of a death march. 
where he's resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, knowing that when he got there, he would be put to death, crucified for the sins of his people. The, the last week of Jesus' life did begin on what we know today as Palm Sunday, what we're celebrating this morning. Jesus was in Bethany at the time. Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus had come to Bethany at the request of Mary and Martha. Remember? Because their brother Lazarus was sick unto death. Jesus didn't get there in time. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus comes to Bethany and he raises Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus come forth and here comes this man from the tomb wrapped in his uh, burial garments. Now, as you can imagine, that miracle got a lot of attention. In fact, if you go with me over to the Gospel of John, to chapter 11, where we find the account of that event. John chapter 11, verses 46 through 48. This is right after that miracle. Let me start with verse uh, yeah, 46. Let me start with verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And if you look down in verse 53 of John 11, we find this. Or from that day, that's the day Lazarus was raised, from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Now that was right before what we know as Holy Week, right before Passover was coming. Now, since Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem, there was still quite a buzz in the air when uh, the Sabbath ended and people began to make their way to Jerusalem to observe the week of Passover. In fact, the people were wondering if Jesus would make an appearance. Look, it was still in John 11. Look at verse, verses 55 through 57. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. They got there several days ahead of time. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That it will come to the feast at all? And now the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was reported so they might seize him. Now that was the tension and that was the attention that was given to Jesus uh, right at the onset of this Passover week. And as the Sabbath ended, he was spending the time there in Bethany with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And when um, the Sabbath is over, uh, Jesus decided to go to uh, Jerusalem. And that was when he sent two of his disciples, that we read in our text from Luke 19, sent two of his disciples on the head 
to get a colt. They brought the colt to Jesus. Uh, Jesus rode on the colt in toward down the Mount of Olives toward the city of Jerusalem. And as Jesus went, there was quite a commotion. And there was a lot of excitement. And people began to pour out of the, the city of Jerusalem there to meet him. And they cut palm branches and they waved him before him. They took off their coats and they laid their coats in front of him. And they were wondering, could this possibly be the hour for which they had waited so long? Could it be that Jesus now would throw off his disguise, go marching into uh, the city of Jerusalem, even though he's on a colt and not a stallion, go into the city of Jerusalem and uh, grant them or secure for them the deliverance from Rome that they desired. So all the way to the city of Jerusalem, the crowd is following Jesus, exalting him, using Old Testament scripture in regard to him. But when Jesus got to Jerusalem, that's not what he did. When Jesus got to Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple. You know, Jesus had a real keen interest in the temple. What happened in the temple? You might recall when he was 12 years old, they'd gone to Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph, and they left and realized they left Jesus behind. They went, where did they find him? Found him in the temple. And what did Jesus say about that when they asked him, they said, he said, this is my father's house. And so Jesus had a very keen interest in the temple. And so he went and he looked on that Sunday evening. Just looked. And observed. And watched. And then he left, went back to Bethany, spent the night with Lazarus and his sisters. Then on Monday, Jesus went back to Jerusalem. You've got to understand, during Holy Week, everything for the Jews centered around Jerusalem and especially the temple. So Jesus and his disciples made their way back to Jerusalem on Monday. Now, it wasn't nearly the commotion and excitement that had been the day before. Jesus didn't ride, he walked. Along the way, he came to a fig tree. Apparently, Jesus had had, big, had breakfast that morning. He was hungry. The fig tree was in full leaf. He went to find figs, and guess what? No figs. Jesus did an odd thing. He cursed that fig tree. You might wonder, why in the world did Jesus curse a fig tree? Just because it didn't have figs on it. Well, that was a symbolic spiritual lesson. That, that fig tree represented Israel. That all the appearance of religiosity and spirituality, but when you look closely, there was nothing there. No fruit. And so they made their way on then to Jerusalem. And when he arrived in Jerusalem on Monday, guess where he went? went back to the temple. It was the last place he went on Sunday. First place he goes on Monday. Sunday he had gone there just to observe and to look. Monday goes to act. Because Jesus didn't like what he saw in his father's house. He didn't like what he saw 
taking place in the temple. He saw merchants with booths set up, selling merchandise, some of them selling lambs for the sacrifice, and selling them at an exorbitant price, fleecing the people because they knew they had to have one for the sacrifice. He saw money changers set up over in the corner to make sure the people had the proper currency to buy the lambs. And they too were uh, demanding an exorbitant fee from the people to exchange the money. And Jesus saw all that and he was infuriated. And he began to uh, turn over their tables and to scatter their money and to drive the merchants from the temple. If you go with me to the Gospel of Mark, you'll find the response. Mark 11. The response of the chief priests and scribes in verse 18. It says, The chief priests and scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him. But the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. You might recall that in the Gospel of Luke, we read from chapter 19 earlier this morning, the people were hanging on Jesus' every word. Jesus wasn't just going about the motions of cleansing the temple, but he was using that as a, an opportunity to teach. And the people were hanging on to everything that he said. Astonished, Mark says, at his teaching. And it appears that's what Jesus spent Monday doing. Hanging around the temple, teaching the people. And when Monday was over, he went back to Bethany and spent the night with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. The next day was Tuesday. Tuesday was a very busy day in Jesus' life. In fact, Tuesday was the last day of Jesus' public life and ministry. Because after Tuesday, he went into seclusion. And you don't see from Jesus, and you don't hear from Jesus until he sends his disciples to make preparation for the Passover on Thursday. Now, there are far too many things that took place on Tuesday to go into any detail, but I want to kind of give you a feel for what happened on that day. Guess what Jesus and his disciples did when they got up on Tuesday morning? They went, they went back to Jerusalem. And on the way, they came across that fig tree. And the disciples saw it. But guess what? It wasn't in full leaf any longer. The tree had withered and died in 24 hours. Because Jesus had cursed it. And the disciples, we are told, were amazed at his power. So, when Jesus got to the uh, temple area, he began to teach again. But his teaching on Tuesday was not so much directed at the, the crowds of people, the worshipers. His, his teaching was more and more on Tuesday directed at the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests. And he began to tell parables that 
denounced them, that made them look bad. And if you will um, look with me, for example, at Mark 12, we're still in the Gospel of Mark. They got the point. This is right after the parable of the, the vine growers. who rejected the servants sent by the owner and eventually rejected his son. Verse 12, Mark 12, 12. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. And as Tuesday passed... There was greater and greater tension between Jesus and the Jewish officials. You know, they, they sent Jesus time and time again, people to Jesus trying to trap him. What about taxes? Supposed to pay tax to, to Caesar or not? And that's where Jesus said, you know, you, you give to Caesar what Caesar, you give to God's what God's, and, and the people were amazed at his answer. They, they sent people to him asking him, okay, which is the greatest commandment? Thinking that Jesus might choose one over the other and they might be able to, to trap him in some way. That's how, kind of how Tuesday went with Jesus telling these parables that, that put the, the Jewish religious leaders in a bad light and then coming back trying to find something they could trap him in, something he said that they could use against him. And that's how Tuesday went. If you look with me at Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to spend just a few minutes in the end of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Verses um, 33 and 34. And the crowds are all listening to what Jesus is saying. It says, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And he had even sent the Sadducees to try to trap Jesus about a question regarding the resurrection. It says in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And then they sent another group, and that's when they asked Jesus about the commandments. And then if you look in chapter 23 of Matthew... In my text, it's all in red. I got a red letter edition of the Bible, and it's all in red. If you look all the way through there, in mine it says there are eight woes. This is where Jesus finally has had enough from the scribes and the Pharisees. These are Jesus' woes, declarations of woe against the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy, because of their unbelief. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, Jesus says. And then when he's through pronouncing those woes, Jesus retreats. At the end of Tuesday, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, meeting with them privately. And if you look at chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, those are private teachings that Jesus gave to the disciples at the end of Tuesday. And that was the end of Jesus' public ministry. So as Tuesday comes to a close, 
there Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with his disciples teaching them. And the chief priests and elders are continuing to plot against him. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. Well, it's interesting. Let me go ahead and read verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, he's still on the Mount of Olives there, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Verse 3, Then the chief priests and elders of the people were gathered together in the, in the court of the high priest Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. Now verse 5 says they really didn't want to do it that week. Didn't really want to do it during the Passover because they knew that it would cause great consternation and commotion. And yet uh, they were not uh, in charge of the timeline. As Gary James pointed out this morning, it wasn't really the Jews who put Jesus to death. It was God that put him to death. Jesus already knew the time. What did he say in verse 2? Two days. Two days. It's going to happen. And so nothing is... um, well, before that, uh, Jesus does go that night uh, back to Bethany. If you look at uh, chapter 26, uh, he, he's back in Bethany. Uh, verse, he goes there uh, in verse 6. That's where he's anointed with oil. And Judas gets upset because of the waste of money. And then in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said to him, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. So it's on Tuesday night that Judas goes to the authorities and said, I'll do it. What do you give me if I turn him over to you, if I betray him? And uh, they gave him the thirty pieces of silver. Well, nothing's been heard from Jesus on Wednesday. And that was day it was spent in, spec- in uh, seclusion. But we don't hear from Jesus again until Thursday when he sends again two of his disciples to make preparation to find a place to prepare the Passover uh, for them. And of course, Jesus meets with them in the upper room. They observe uh, the Passover, which, as we'll see in just a moment, Jesus turned into the Lord's Supper where he said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, after that meal was over, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is on Thursday evening. And that's where he prayed. Uh, as we read in our unison read of Scripture, that's where he prayed. Prayed so earnestly with, that he sweat great drops of blood and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew how bad it was going to be. And in his human spirit, Jesus prayed, Father, is there any other way for this to be done other than the crucifixion? Let it happen. But then his prayer was one of submission, but not my will, but thine be done. You know, during the supper, Jesus had left. You remember Jesus had said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And he left. The one who dips with me in the bowl, that's he. Judas left. And uh, by the time Jesus was through praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was Judas with a mob sent from the chief priests. And he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He had told them, the one I kiss 
is the one to arrest. And that's when they arrested Jesus. And that began a whole night of ordeal, of, of struggle, of uh, abuse, uh, and torture, and interrogation for Jesus. It went all the way through Thursday night into Friday. First, Jesus was taken to the high priest. The Jews took Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. There they brought the charges. There they started questioning him, brought in false witnesses to testify against him. And they abused him. They spit in his face. They beat him with their fists, we're told. They slapped him with their open hands. That's when all the while good friend Peter was in the courtyard. While Jesus was being interrogated by Caiaphas and abused by the chief priests and scribes, Peter was asked three times, aren't you, aren't you one of his? Don't, don't you follow him? And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know the man. Well, the elders and scribes then took Jesus to Pilate. The Jews couldn't pronounce a verdict of death upon Jesus. It had to be done by the Roman government. And so they took Jesus to Pilate. Now, that was a situation Pilate didn't welcome. He, didn't, he wanted no part of it. But they had brought charges against Jesus. He had to, he had to investigate it. He did everything he, he could to get rid of it. But there it was in his lap. Well, as they were telling Pilate about Jesus, they mentioned that he was from Galilee. They're in Judea now. He was from Galilee. Well, Pilate saw that as his out because he knew that was Herod's district. And he knew that Herod was in Jerusalem. And so he said, I know what you need to do. You need to go take this man to Herod. Let Herod decide what to do with him. Well, so they took him to Herod. Herod couldn't get anything out of him either. But they dressed him up in a robe and mocked him and made fun of him and sent him back to Pilate. Well, Pilate was obligated to do something. He tried one last thing. It was customary uh, during Passover week for him to release one prisoner to set them free. And he was in hopes that if he gave them the option, they would choose to set Jesus free. And so he put two men before them, Jesus on the one hand and Barabbas, a known criminal on the other, and said, which one do you want me to release for you? And thinking all the while they'd say, Jesus, they all said, release Barabbas. And he said, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And that's when they shouted, crucify him. Crucify him. And that's exactly what Pilate proceeded to do. They stripped Jesus of his clothes. They put a scarlet robe on him. They took a crown of thorns and pressed it down into his flesh so the blood ran down over his face. They mocked him, made fun of him, laughed at him. They spit on him again. They beat him with rods. They scourged him. That is, they flailed him. 
so that the flesh on his back literally opened up and poured blood. And then they led him away to be crucified. Jesus was too weak to carry his own cross, and so they secured a man named Simon to carry it for him. And there they were on Golgotha. And now Jesus, you see, had come to the place. This is the place to which his father had sent him. This was the purpose for which Jesus was born. Everything in the Old Testament and everything in the New Testament to this point pointed to this. To this moment when Jesus was about to give his life a ransom for many. He was about to make atonement for the sins of his people. He was about to die on the cross as our substitute. To take our place. To endure the wrath of God. So we would not have to. And so, Jesus was hung on the cross. He was put to death publicly. In shame and humiliation. Between two common criminals. Spikes were driven into his hands and feet to secure him to the cross. As they lifted the cross from the ground, the weight of his body would have torn against the spikes and his flesh would have seared with pain. As Jesus became weaker, his body would collapse and his would be unable to breathe because of the pressure on his lungs. The only way Jesus could secure a breath would be to press against his feet with the spikes driven through them to be able to give himself the room to be able to take a breath. They gave him some sour wine to drink supposedly to help deaden the pain. First time he turned his head away then he took a sip of it. The soldiers who had put him to death divided up his clothes and cast lots for them as souvenirs they mocked him they, they put a sign over his head saying this is the king of the Jews and then they shouted at him if you really are the son of God come down from the cross then they said he saved others but he can't save himself those being crucified with him on the other side were hurling insults at him as well. It was an unthinkable event, folks. Let's put it into perspective. This is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who had shared in the glory of the Father from all eternity, who had taken upon himself human flesh and who now is being mocked Ridiculed, scorned, abused, spit on, beaten, humiliated, and put to death. It was an awful emotional and physical experience. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it was a spiritual burden that Jesus bore do you realize that as Jesus hung upon that cross he took all the sin of all his people upon himself 
Look, I know my own heart. I know my own life. Folks, just my sin, just my sin would have been a great burden for Jesus to bear. But it wasn't just my sin, it was your sin and your sin and your sin. All of our sin. Of all of His people, from all time, Jesus took our sin upon Himself. He bore the weight of it, the guilt of it, the shame of it, the punishment of it. Finally, He suffered the greatest. When His Father turned His face away, And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't you realize that's what you should have been able to say? Don't you realize that you should have been forsaken by God because of your sin and Jesus took it on himself? The words of a great hymn say it well. It says, Tell me, ye who hear him groaning, Was there ever grief like this? Friends through through fear his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. Catch this now. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. And that was when Jesus cried out, My God, my God. And then he said, It is finished. If you mark in your Bible, circle that. Jesus said, It's finished. Folks, he paid every bit of the price for your salvation. You know, there's an old hymn that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him. I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It is finished. And if you think there's something you can do, you forget it. If you think there's some work that you have to perform, some duty you have to obligate yourself to deserve or earn God's salvation, you are on a hopeless journey. You can't do it. Jesus took it all. Jesus That's why you owe it all to him. No, the cross wasn't the end. Folks, next week's coming. Easter will come when we look not at the death, but at the resurrection, because the cross was not the end. The grave could not contain him. And our crucified Savior, we'll see again, is risen in victory, and he lives. He lives for you and for me. But aren't we thankful that Jesus left us something to remember his death by? All this we've described this morning about Jesus' suffering and agony, his death, his crucifixion, is pictured for us right here. In just a few moments when the elders uncover the table, you'll see again cups of juice and you'll see plates of bread. And they point us to the body and the blood of Jesus.
that were given for you on the cross is payment for your sin, a price that you could not pay. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for who he is and what he's done for us and for his great sacrifice on the cross for us. And now as we turn our attention to the table, we pray your blessing upon us as we do, that you would be praised and exalted, even in this, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.